0: A couple of weeks ago, and unfortunately, the circumstances are not good that bring me back here. I, I often um, come here about every six weeks or so. My name is Gray, by the way, if you haven't met me yet, I'm the pastor at New Valley Church downtown, and uh, very much connected to you still. Very much want to know what's going on here and be a part. Um, I'm here for, for Scott this morning. Uh, I don't know how many of you know, but Scott did lose his father in law um, this week. Becky Brown's father passed away. On Tuesday, I think, right? Tuesday, and uh, and so they've been away for the funeral, and so Scott will be back with us um, next week. And but before we begin today, let's just take a minute to to pray for the Brown family. God, would you be very present for Becky Brown this morning? She thinks about her father, Bill, and his life, the tribute to his, his faithfulness to you, his faithfulness to his wife, his faithfulness to his daughters. We, re- we rejoice in the life of a saint who knew you all of his life and walked with you. We thank you for his life. We pray for Becky that you would be with her this morning. Be with Scott, he's lost his father-in-law. Be with the whole family, Lord. I pray that you would use this, Lord, to draw them closer to each other, draw them close to you. I pray that we would be a great community um, for our leader, for Scott, who we love, and his family, who we love. I pray for Jacob and Carter and Zachary, as they've lost a grandfather. I pray that we would be there for them. Teach us how to do that, Lord. Teach us how to grieve. And we just pray for them, Lord. Be real to them. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. It's also in your bulletin for you if you don't have a Bible this morning. Jesus' words about anxiety, always a relevant topic, (laughs) never not needed. Let's read what he says. Verse 25, Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. When I I lived here in Chandler, um, you know, I just moved about eight months ago, uh, but we we bought our house um, in our old neighborhood, and uh, you know, we kind of bought uh, the most house we could afford, the lower end of the neighborhood we wanted to be in. And we got this house that was not in great shape in some ways. Um, it, you know, it had some, some things to fix. It, it was dusty. It was uh, outdated. And so we, we got this house, and one of the main problems that we had uh, was a yard full of weeds. Okay, We had weeds everywhere when we moved into this house and we started, we moved in and we started working on things. We started updating a few things and cleaning hard. And, um, you know, we, we did a, a number of things, but we didn't get to the weeds. I mean, I went, I went out there a couple of times uh, to, to, you know, try to pull a few of them or spray them down. Uh, but it was just so much, I just got overwhelmed and went back to what I could do. About six weeks into to living there, uh, we get a notice um, from that Great institution, Homeowners Association, uh, HOA notice, uh, you've got to take care of your weeds. And uh, this is now your third notice. So the fine has gone up. Um, and so we were, of course, uh, outraged at this. How could we have received the third notice? We've only lived here for six weeks. This is the first that we have heard of it. And we tried to find it, lost, and paid the money. That's just what you do. Who is responsible for the weeds? Who's responsible for the weeds? That's a complicated question. All right, the, the obvious answer, since I was the homeowner, right, is that I am. And during those six weeks that I lived there, I let some of those weeds keep growing up. I didn't take care of them. I let them grow, and I didn't chop down the old ones. But it's more complicated than that. I mean, if you'd seen this yard, you would understand, right? Um, Don is also responsible for the weeds. Don was the previous owner. And Don had let these weeds grow up. He could have done something about it. Why didn't Don take care of the weeds? Isn't he partly responsible? But the answer to the question, who's responsible for the weeds, is even more complicated than that. It's not just my fault. It's not just Don's fault. It's this whole host of other factors that I'm going to fill you in on right now. What happened? Age happened. Don was in his late 80s and incapable of taking care of the yard. He was so elderly. And sickness happened. He had cancer. And he spent half of his time at the Mayo Clinic. And he let those weeds grow up as he was being treated for cancer. Age happened, sickness happened, tragedy happened. His wife, 50 some odd years, passed away just the year before. And in this this tragedy, in his grief, the man who had always serviced the AC on time, and we have records of everything he he did, done, the military man, let his house go in his grief. We heard all this through Realtor. Now I begin with that this morning because anytime that we talk about sin, uh, this is the nature of sin. Who is responsible for sin it 's a complicated question to answer. We are all of us are everyone is responsible for sin we 're responsible for those weeds that grow up, but others are also responsible for our story and you know how we are affected by things, the weeds that other people grow up. And there's also things that are just so complicated. The sinfulness in the world has created sinful systems that are broken. And so some of the weeds are there, the, sin, the sinfulness weeds because of the broken system. And so it's important to say that as we talk about a singular issue of anxiety this morning. Do not be anxious, Jesus says. But anxiety is something that plagues all of us, sometimes more seriously than others. Some, some of you have the weeds of anxiety in your life that have been put there by other people. Right? You, been, you've experienced trauma, you've experienced abuse, you've experienced something that has made you an anxious person. Or maybe it's the conditions of a broken world. You, your body is anxious and you have this anxiety that seems to come from nowhere from the chemical makeup of your body or whatever it is, some of those weeds are there. And I don't want you to hear Jesus beating up on you this morning, saying, do not be anxious, because he understands these things. You remember when Jesus talked um, to, to the man who was born blind and the Pharisees, and they asked him, who sinned, this, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither one. It was neither his parents' sin nor his sin that made him you're born blind. He's born blind because we live in a sinful world. The weeds are everywhere. But what Jesus is saying and is challenging us to is this. We're cultivating some of those weeds. The weeds that we're responsible for, the weeds of anxiety that we allow to grow up, the weeds that kind of come up because we lack faith. Oh, you of little faith, Jesus says. Don't be anxious this way. Don't let those weeds grow up. Have faith in me. He's challenging us because we often do not have a life of dependency and trust in him. We're so anxious about tomorrow. That's what the end of the passage says. And anxiety always has to do with the future, doesn't it? Even if it's about something that happened in the past, we're anxious about future consequences. Anxiety is always about the future tomorrow next year how is this going to affect me what jesus says is do not be anxious what i want to look at today is how can we avoid this sinful anxiety and the answer is more than just don't be anxious right that's where jesus starts but if you look at the rest of the passage where he he doesn't say just don't be anxious he's not like the fish on the wall you know don't worry be happy like just just cut out the worry and then you'll be happy. That's not what he says. What he says is this, the way to calm sinful anxiety is to focus your ambitions on a Godward life. The way to calm your anxiety is to focus your ambitions on a Godward life. It's not, don't be anxious, um, seek after these things but seek first the kingdom of God. Isn't that interesting that he talks about ambition here, this idea of seeking. And ambition is not necessarily a bad word. Paul uses the word positively. I make it my ambition, he says in Corinthians, to do all these gospel endeavors that he's doing. What he's contrasting here is the anxious life and the Godward life. The anxious life is driven by certain questions. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Seeking after those things. The Godward life is driven by seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It's God's presence. It's who God is. It's what we've been singing about this morning. I want to look at that contrast between the anxious life and the good life because the anxious life basically is seeking after these things, these external things. And, uh, you know, this is what the Gentiles seek after. That's what it says in verse 32. Um, The Greeks, the Gentiles, this is a pagan way of life to be anxious, seeking after these things. And what, in the Greek life, what they would be seeking after is the sumum bonum, the, the good way, the good life. What is the good life? And everybody pursued that. And what Jesus is saying is it's found in seeking the kingdom, not in seeking after things, so first, the anxious life. I want us to see this together. The anxious life. What does it look like? What Jesus says is this. The anxious life is driven by two lies. All right, the way that we cultivate sin, sinful anxiety in our life comes from two lies. The first lie is this. I have to take care of myself or no one else will. I have to look out for number one. I have to take care of myself or no one else will. Verse 25 says this, Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then in, in verse 31, he, he says these questions, right? Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? These kinds of questions about the future drive anxiety. How am I going to be taken care of? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Charles Spurgeon called this um, the world's trinity of cares. (laughs) It's a beautiful phrase. This is the stuff of necessity. This is the stuff that we need to survive, right? When you think about the absolute essentials of survival, it's eating, drinking, clothing, shelter. This is what we need. This is the necessary things. And so people are asking these questions. How am I going to survive? If I don't take care of myself, no one else will. You have to make it happen. You have to hustle. You have to get out there and get it. Or no one else is going to look out for you. Now, we may ask, what's the problem with this? I mean, isn't it good? Isn't it wise to think about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear? Isn't it wise to plan for some of these things shouldn't we ask where our food and drink and clothing are going to come from we don't want to be lazy we don't want to be overly spiritual Um, like you know i just sit here and wait for god to provide for me but the example he uses is is the bird right look at look at the birds of the heavens and uh that's the example he gives do birds just like lay there with their mouths open waiting for god to put a worm in their mouth i mean that's not the picture he's saying. The, the bird seeks after its food, right? It goes and looks for berries. But at the end of the day, what, is, what provides for the bird is not something that the bird can do. It's, it's in the abundance of the things that it's already been given by being placed in this world. It's a picture of sustenance. And he's saying that's what you have to look at. That's what you have to see, not be driven by the, question, by, the, by the lie. I have to take care of myself or no one will because you can't take care of yourself. He's not condemning hard work or, or planning or anything like that. What he's saying is, look, you're more valuable than the birds. But look, you exist in the same capacity that they do. You have to receive in order to have your needs taken care of. There's, there is no person in this room who can pull themselves up completely from their bootstraps and take care of themselves. That just cannot happen because everything that we have is a gift from God. What he is challenging us to is this attitude that it's all up to us. It's all up to me. I've got to go get what I need, what I want. And of course, he's going at the heart. Why do you feel like it's all on you? Because what he says is, at the end of the day, that kind of sentiment, it's all on me, is both idolatrous and silly. That's the problem with it. It's, it's idolatrous and it's silly. It's idolatrous because basically you're not believing that you have a heavenly Father who's given you all of these things. Right, you don't. You're not believing in the hand that is actually providing for that, and that you're saying it's up to me. That's that's not true. You're not your own god. But it's also silly. I mean, verse 27 says, "Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life?" Or you could translate it: "Can add, add a single, um, you know, measurement to his stature." Who can add to your? You know, either way, it's impossible. You can't add to your height. You can't add to The span of your life. You can't do these things by being anxious. Why are you asking? Why are you believing this lie? I have to take care of myself or no one else will because it's actually impossible for you to do so. Everything you have is a gift from God. That's the first lie. I have to take care of myself or or no one else will. There's there's another lie that, that drives anxiety. It's this I have to prove. My value. I have to prove my value. After Jesus talks about the birds, he ends with this question. Just slow down and hear this. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than the the other creatures that God has made? The birds of the air, the grass of the field. Why does he ask that question? He's trying to tell us you're already valuable. Stop being anxious. You're already valuable. You see that? You're already valuable. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. He made you in the last day, humankind to be the kings and queens of the earth. That's what Psalm 8 says, right? You've made us a little lower than the angels, crowned Him with glory and honor. That's what God did. You're already valuable to God. And He's saying this because in our anxiety, we're driven not just by questions of sustenance. What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? You know, How am I going to be okay? There there is the sustenance question that that drives anxiety, but anxiety is also driven by how can I prove my value? He says, You don't have to prove your value. You're already valuable. You're already valuable to me because you're a human being. I made you in my image. And if you are a son or a daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ or of God, then you and you have Jesus Christ, you are a value to him because you are his son. You are his daughter. You're already valuable. But in our anxiety, we're driven by, think about the things that you're anxious about. Think about them. Sometimes it's sustenance. Sometimes it's value. I've got to prove that I'm better than this person. I've got to, how am I going to be okay? Is my boss going to look favorably on me? We want to prove our value. But the lie is, I'm not valuable. I have to prove it. That's a lie. You are already valuable. That's the anxious life. The anxious life is driven by those two lies. And what Jesus contrasts it with is not the non-anxious life, the don't worry, be happy, go find a beach somewhere, kind of forget your worries. That's not what he says. What he says is this, he gives us the Godward life. Not towards these questions, but towards God. I love the word Godward. Godward. That's why I used it. (laughs) It captures that two words, toward God. It captures the movement of the passage, right? It says, seeking the first, the kingdom of God. It's a movement towards God. Let me just set that up a little bit. You see the passage begins with the word therefore. Um, You know, you always ask yourselves, what's the therefore, therefore? Therefore. and the answer is, you know, if you, were, I preached on the previous passages a couple weeks ago with you guys. We saw all those contrasts, right? You, you're either going to store up treasures in heaven or you're going to store up treasures on earth. You're either going to, your, your body's going to be full of light, your, your eye's going to be full of light, or it's going to be full of darkness. No one can serve two masters. You're either going to love the one or hate the other, despise the one, love the other. You can't serve God and money. And then, therefore... I tell you, do not be anxious. What, is he, he, what he's doing here is he's saying he's assuming you've chosen God. <laughs> you've chosen that. The, the two contrasts. You can't serve God in money. You serve God. And therefore, do not be anxious. What comes from that is, is, is God. right? You're, you're serving Him. How is that possible that we could live this life with God and not be... Anxious. Look at the, the, the imperatives of this passage, the, the commands to us. The commands are this. Verse 26, look. Look. Look at the birds. Consider the lilies of the field. Look. Consider. Examine closely. Could translate it pay attention slow down look at the things that are around you that god has made that's the command that's how you live a godward life you slow down and you see the god who is providing in all different kinds of ways so often i really believe this i think maybe primarily the reason that we are anxious is because we have stopped paying attention to god say that again so often the reason that we are anxious is because we have stopped paying attention to God and I'm confessing to you that that is something that I struggle with all the time in our anxiety we stop paying attention to God You, you you've experienced this before I know maybe you have a great walk with the Lord maybe it's going really well and you know and all of a sudden something makes you anxious and and it's like all of a sudden then you can't have a life with God anymore uh, suddenly you're, you're not, the scriptures are, you know, they're dry to you. And prayer time, because you're focused on this thing. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where are my kids going to go to school? Where am I going to go to college? Am I going to get married? Whatever the questions are that drive anxiety, they stop you from paying attention to God and what He's doing. I know this is the case, I, looking at the rest of scripture, you know, think about the story of Mary and Martha. Um, Martha is in the kitchen, Jesus is in the living room, Mary is sitting at his feet, paying attention to God, to Jesus, who's right there. Martha is distracted with much serving, it said. That, that word distracted is the same word used in our passage for anxious. She was anxious with much serving. Okay, that was her anxiety. So what was her problem? Her problem was in her anxiety, she stopped paying attention to to Jesus Christ who was right in front of her. That's where anxiety comes from. But if we slow down, if we pay attention, if we notice, that's that's secure for anxiety. We notice, first of all, what God has done. Notice what He's done. This question at the end of the first verse, or in the verse 25, Says this, is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Um what is he what is he saying there? What he's saying is this notice what God has done. (laughs) Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? God created life. God created the body. Do you think that that the God who created life and the God who created the body doesn't know how to cover a body? Do you think he doesn't know how to um, take care and feed something that he's created? It's, it's arguing from greater to lesser. God has already done the harder thing. He's already made your body. He's already put, made this world. Do you think he doesn't know how to take care of it? Notice what he has done. This is what he has done. Um, my three-year-old, just turned three uh, this last week, Rhodes, Middle child. He loves this book called um, Henry Babysits. Uh, I think I have a copy of it in my bag, but I was going to show it to you. But he, he loves this book, Henry Babysits, and he just quotes from it all the time. It's just this random book that his aunt gave him. He loves it. And uh, the other day, he and, and my wife were out in the yard, and I think it was sunrise or sunset. I can't remember, but let's just say it was a sunset. The sun was setting. And um, they're looking at it, and my wife is using it as a teachable moment, right? Look, look how beautiful the sunset is. Look, God made that, you know, just kind of using this teachable moment. And she ended her conversation with him just kind of with this this extemporaneous prayer. Thank you, God, for Arizona sunsets. And like in the same tone of voice, my son said, and thank you, God, for Henry babysits. (laughs) beautiful the god who made the sun setting in the universe my son connects to giving him his favorite book he's in charge of all these things this is what he's done he made the sun and yet he cares enough about the sparrow he cares enough about the blade of grass and so certainly he cares about us he gives us what we need including little books that we enjoy and every little grace that we have is from Him. Okay? And so, when you see that, that huge contrast, He's done this. He's made the universe, the sun, for goodness sake. And He cares for us. You notice what He's done, then you, your anxiety goes away because you see who He is and what He's done. And you see His character. I mean, His character is all over this passage. Just, just to note one, he knows and he cares he knows and he cares that's what it says he knows the gentiles seek after these things verse 32 your heavenly father knows that you need them all he knows what your needs are and he cares consider the lilies of the field you know just that the care in this passage he he takes care that he clothes each blade of grass And I love that contrast that we see here. It says, look at the heavens. Look at the birds of the air. Look look at the the macro picture. Look at one blade of grass. Big, small, whatever it is. God knows and he cares. Amazing. We know that he knows and he cares. Ultimately, because of what he's given to us. Not just with our clothing. Not just with the food we eat or bank accounts, but because He's given us His Son, Jesus Christ. We know that He knows. We know that He cares because He's done that. And it's the same logic as this passage that drives Romans 8, which says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Do you see the echo of this passage there? The God who didn't spare His own Son is going to give us everything. Seek first the kingdom and you will have all these other things added to you. Same logic. He's already done the greater thing. He's already done the harder thing. He's already done the bigger thing by giving us His Son. And that is your greatest need. When you have the son, then you don't worry about clothing because you are in God's family. You don't worry so much about where your kids are going to go to school or where the money is going to come from or whatever questions that drive you. They fade to the back when you realize God's given us his son. And if he's done that, what else would he do for us? He loves to give us good gifts. The key to having what you need is to know your greatest need first, which is to be in God's family, to be in the Son, to be united to Jesus Christ. Because God did not spare His own Son. He gave Him up for you if you've trusted in Him. What are you anxious about? One more story from Rhodes. (laughs) It's nice. Caveman's kind of phasing out of quotable. You know, my oldest... Now the middle child's rising up to for the challenge. <laughs> really quotable these days. Um, we hosted a, b- a birthday party last weekend for them, um, for my oldest and middle child joint birthday party. And uh, we were getting stuff ready, and we uh, hung a happy birthday banner on our mantle. Just we pull it out every time we have a party for the kids. And... Uh, on one end of the banner is just this rubber band that we used one time to extend uh, you know, the banner so it'd fit right. And My son is playing with, Rhodes is playing with um, the, the banner. He's playing with that rubber band and it snaps. And he is so, so sad. He's grief-stricken. Uh, even though it's just this little thing that we've tacked on, he thinks he's broken the banner. And, and he's crying about it and, and he's so upset and what he says next is, now we, not, it is not, now we can't hang the banner. That's not what he said. In his grief, what he said is, I broke it. Now we can't have a birthday party. <laughs> and I think that is the nature of anxiety. We catastrophize. I broke the rubber band. Now there's no party. And God, Jesus says, is our Heavenly Father, is looking at us, and he's saying, Don't worry. You, you did break the rubber band. You, you know, there is wrong in the world. You have misstepped. There are things maybe you could do in wisdom. But we're not canceling the party. Because I'm in control of all these things, I know what you need. And I was able to say to Rhodes, I, We're not canceling the party. It's okay. And you didn't even break it. <laughs> and we so often catastrophize like that. But we have a Heavenly Father that's treating us that way. And He knows the plan. He knows that we can't mess up what He is doing in the world. And if we know that, if we trust that, then our anxiety melts away. So we have to focus on what we have. Which is this. The passage ends. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What you have is today and a Heavenly Father. Now, I'm preaching this to myself, okay, (laughs) big time. What I have is today and a Heavenly Father. And that is more than enough. It's more than enough what I need because the Heavenly Father piece, right, not because of today. I don't know what tomorrow is going to happen, and that's always going to be true. But I have a Heavenly Father. So rather than driving these questions, how is this future going to look? How is this future going to look? What is it going to look like to do this, this, and this? These questions that drive, drive anxiety. When is this going to happen? How is it going to happen? Where, how are we going to make ends meet? Rather, what this is calling us to dwell on today is this. What does faithfulness look like today? What does faithfulness look like this week? I can't worry about next week. But I know I've got to be faithful this week. I know I've got these kids. I know I've got this job. I know I've got this coming up on my schedule. What does faithfulness look like today? Because you have a Heavenly Father who knows, cares. Let's pray. We need your help believing, God. We believe, help our unbelief. We believe that you're good. We believe that you care. We believe that you sustain us. We know our theology that you're sovereign, that it's all taken care of in Jesus. We know this theology, but it is, it is not set down in our hearts yet because we still worry. We're still anxious. We still find ourselves not trusting you. We need you to come to us, God. And bring us into the place that we need to be. We need you to help us pay attention. To help us notice. To help us look at what you've done around us with the birds and the grass and everything. Would you, God? In Jesus' name, amen.